Hey, good morning, everybody. Okay, so I find myself in a bit of a strange position because rarely do I have the privilege of even attending this class because I'm usually in there helping the acapella praise team get set up for the second service. And now I'm jumping into a series on First Peter, uh, like fourth person in the row. And I don't know what you've learned already. So, so first thing we're going to do is you're going to catch me up a bit. Uh, tell me what you've learned. What, what, what have we found out about First Peter so far? Anything. Shoot from the hip. I'm not, by the way. I have notes. Just in case it felt that way. First Peter. Who's it to, for example? Scattered Jews, scattered, yeah, scattered, scattered Jews and Christians. Might not all be Jews by that point, yeah. Scattered Christians, yeah, where? Yeah, Turkey today, northern Roman provinces, right? Coming from Babylon, which is code for what? Wasn't, wasn't actually Babylon. It was a code word. It's used in Revelation a lot, right? Go ahead, somebody. Rome. Rome. Yeah, so Rome. Written by? This is a trick question, was it? Okay. I just want to see. I want to see. Okay, yeah. Yeah, not James, yeah. <laughs> Peter, yeah, I mean, in the scholarly discussion, there's, there's different opinions. Peter, or at least one from one of his disciples using his name, which was an accepted practice. But but the burden of proof is really on those who doubt that it's Peter, right? It's, it's as likely as it's Peter. The prose is a bit uh, thick and polished for a fisherman uh, of Peter's day. So that's a questionable thing. But, okay, what else do we know? What, what themes? What themes have come up so far? Submission. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Of who to who? Masters, slaves, wives, husbands, husbands, wives too. There's some, there's some, uh, no, circumcision no circumcision needed. Okay. Is that in, is that in first Peter? Preparing for persecution. At least some sort of, yeah, struggle. Uh, Ryan, you said scattered Jews, right? Is that right? Yeah. I'm not calling you out. <laughs> you're, yes, you're, yeah, on the right track. What's the point of their experience then? Um, Peter uses some language for them. Aliens and exiles, right? So these are not the people at the center of their society. These are people of faith living in their society, but they're on the margins. And that matters a bit. Um, So what I want to do is put a few things on the table first. Um, I'm not a virtuoso with PowerPoint, so I have one slide, that's it. You can look at it for the whole time because that's the piece I want you to get. Um, But I do want to put some things on the table. So you have to use your listening skills and hold it in your brain kind of skills. Um, And I'm going to just jump right in the deep end with a bunch of controversial stuff, okay? Uh, As I have traveled around North America in particular... 
Canada and the States, visited lots of churches, and, and heard the discussion within churches about the culture around us. Sometimes I have encountered a certain sense of righteous indignation, a certain sense of offendedness at the audacity of the changes in our culture. Right? So we hear offendedness. I told you I'm going to step right into the controversial stuff. Everybody got really quiet. That's just what happens. Uh, Let me list some things that people are offended by, right? So all of the gender questions, LGBTQ, gay rights, questions about abortion, the gratuitous sex and violence and profanity in the entertainment industry, uh, religious plurality as well as religious pluralism. There's a difference, right? So there is a plurality of religious beliefs in our communities, multiple different religions in the same community, and then there's religious pluralism, which basically says they're all good. They're all just, just, the, just as good as one another, right? And what I find sometimes is groups of Christians really offended by this stuff, right? What's going on here? Okay. Let me travel to Japan. I didn't ask my wife's permission to do this, but I'm going to... Okay, now I've asked her permission. We're good. She, she did nod. Yes, I think there were witnesses. Mark Lewis can bear witness. Um, so Michiko, you may not know this, used to be a corporate worker. She worked for a, a company that was a, a medium-term staffing agency, it was a, it was a, a subsection of a, of a software engineering company, actually, but they specialized in recruiting, training, and placing uh, IT folks in corporations. So she sold to corporate execs with NTT, comms, uh, what were some of the other companies, Docomo, like big telecom communication companies mostly. Uh, and then on the other side, she was hiring and training these folks. Good job, um, um, kind of an established career type of job. On Monday mornings, right, every Monday morning, everybody at the company would assemble and turn, and up on the wall there's a kamidana. Kamidana translates to God shelf. It's a Shinto thing. Uh, so on the shelf you have a miniature shrine, and in the shrine there's an amulet that's been purchased at the actual shrine out somewhere on a mountainside or something and taken in and the god from that shrine inhabits the shrine on the god shelf. There's usually some salt and maybe some uh, sake, some rice wine and everybody bows and pays homage to it. This is illegal to force your company employees to do this in Japan. But it still happens. So Michiko, as a Christian, says to her boss, I can't do this. I can't pay homage with the rest of everybody. He said, okay, you can just quietly go stand at the back of the room. Okay? So she's not out and out persecuted for that. She doesn't get fired. She's not out. But she has to step outside of her community in a visible way to do this. That's not an experience that you and I probably have here in North America. Okay. 
Uh, third thing I want to put on the table. If I can get to it here. <clears throat> Is Isaiah 53. Uh, I'm just going to read it to you. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Nothing in his appearance that we should despise him. He was, uh, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised. We held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and he did not open his mouth." Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked, and his tomb with the rich, although he has done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring, singular, and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot with him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong." Because he has poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You might find that in your um, seatback Bibles and mark it. Um, I'm not going to read it again, but just to, if you want to flip back and forth, do it at some point. Okay, so first thing on the table, our offendedness at the changes in our culture. Second thing, um, what what ostracization can actually look like to be a Christian in your culture and have to be apart from the culture in very visible ways. Third thing, the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Uh, and then lastly, um, we need to talk about honor shame before we get into First Peter chapter 3. In the West, particularly in North America, we have distanced ourselves from uh, honor-shame conceptions, right? We still, we still kind of understand it. I'm embarrassed sometimes. I don't like my flaws to be put out in front of everybody. Uh, or sometimes I enjoy it if I uh, experience being honored for something, right? But they're not kind of high, high values for us, right? Um, in much of the rest of the world, for much of history, they have been nearly the top of the list. And they certainly were in the communities to whom Peter is writing. 
So in the, in the Roman culture and the communities, civic honor was high, high stuff. Civic shame was the lowest of the low. Um, go ahead and end your life kind of low. Okay? So I say that because honor, shame comes up a lot in First Peter. All right? Because what the Christians are called to do looks like something shameful, but Peter is telling me you are worthy of honor for what you're doing. So bear that. He's giving them ways to deal with living in exile. Okay? Uh, Let me see if I got everything out on the table that I wanted to get there. Okay, this is what I want to say. So offendedness, right? What it actually can look like to be cut off from your community because of your faith, the suffering servant, honor, shame, those four things. This statement, as Christians in the West, we were at the very center of power in our society. For 1,700 years, we were at the center of power in our society. Now we are on a journey to the margins. Okay? But we are not persecuted. Kelly talked about this some in his sermon. He'll talk about it in the second service if you missed the first service. We are not persecuted the way these folks were persecuted. We're on a journey to the margins. We are not aliens and exiles in our communities. Not yet. Not the way that these folks are. So we need to hold ourselves in some contrast. I would like to question whether our feelings of being offended by our culture are because we are grieving our loss of power rather than because they really offend our ethical sensibilities. So sometimes, if I used to be the one at the center of society, and I'm saying this as a white male, Protestant, right? If I feel my power slipping away, it's easy to misconstrue um, actual ethical unease because the society's going in a direction I don't want it to go uh, with being offended because I'm not the one who's calling the shots anymore. Make sense? Okay. I'm going somewhere with this. Keep with me. Whether we are irritated because we are no longer in control or whether we are truly suffering for our faith, First Peter has some strong advice about how we conduct ourselves toward our neighbors. Okay, that's the last thing I want to put on the table. We might be, some of you might experience actual kind of alien and exile uh, uh, experiences in your community because of your faith. Or we might just be annoyed and offended because we're not the ones in control anymore. Either way, Peter has some very strong language and strong advice for us when we find ourselves at odds with our neighbors. Okay, now we're going to do a... I'm just going to read a bunch. We're going to do a quick uh, blazing review of a couple chapters of Peter, and then we'll get to, to us. So, suffering and honor. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, 
who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ, to be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in abundance. Okay? To the exiles, you who are experiencing suffering, remember that you are chosen and destined by God the Father. You want to know how to deal with struggles in your society, remember who you are according to God, not how your community views you. So honor, God is uphold, lifting up their honor when, they, when they're struggling with suffering. Okay, That's the concept that's going to come up a ton. By his, God's great mercy, he had given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead into that inheritance uh, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that, and I had to summarize a bunch. I mean, Peter, he uses a lot of words. So that the genuineness of your faith may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In the midst of your suffering, the genuineness of your faith results in honor. That's a big point made right at the beginning that's going to come back in chapter 3 inversely for our neighbors. Chapter 1, verses uh, 9 through 11, I've, I've condensed these, summarized. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets made careful inquiry about the Spirit of Christ when it testified advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. Okay, the first part of Peter's very strong language towards us is, look to Jesus who suffered more than you do and the way that he loved the people around him. That's a theme he's going to come back to again and again. Like obedient children, don't be conformed to the desires that you formerly had. Instead... Be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Where does that come from? Anybody? Okay. Leviticus, that's right. Ed, it was on the tip of your tongue. I saw it coming. <laughs> Leviticus, yeah. That's the refrain all through Leviticus. I am holy, therefore you be holy, God says. So Peter draws from that. So in loving your neighbors, don't be like them. That's not what this means. Don't be conformed and don't return to who you used to be when you were among them, you, when you were one of them. You threw that stuff off. Leave it back there. You don't have to be like them. Instead, be holy, be set apart. Okay? Skip ahead a bit. You were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, that like, a lamb, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. Okay? You're starting to hear Isaiah 53 come into this, the suffering servant. Chapter 2, rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice, guile, insincerity, envy, and slander. Towards whom? Those are, those are transitive verbs. Those are active vices. Who's the target of your malice, your guile, your insincerity, your envy, and your slander? Your like-minded Christian friends? Maybe. Could be. It doesn't say. But possibly your neighbors with whom you're at odds. Instead of being jealous of them, instead of being slanderous of them, uh, you need to not be that way. Instead, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. 
so that they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God. Okay, and now you said submission, Brenda. Slaves, accept the authority of your non-Christian masters with all deference. Uh, for this you have, you, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Why? Because Jesus did it. Moves ahead. Uh, when Jesus was abused, he did not return abuse. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep. This is Isaiah 53, almost word for word now. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Wives, in the same way, accept the authority of your non-Christian husbands. Why? So that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may, have, they may be won over without a word by their wives' conduct. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, husbands in the same way show consideration for your wives, since they too are also heirs of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing may hinder your prayers. Okay, we're caught up. What do you think? Easy message, hard message, relevant message, something that stays way back then. It's a recipe for living as people who are not always right up in sync with our culture, right? You keep yourselves clean. You don't have to do what they do. But don't talk bad about them. Don't be envious of them. No malice, no slander. Instead, humble yourselves. Love them. What else? You see the suffering servant? Peace coming in. All of you are like sheep were led astray. Jesus, like the lamb, led to the slaughter, did not open his mouth. Anything else? Okay. That's it. That was your chance to ask questions. Um, so I'm supposed to cover the second half of chapter three all the way through verse all the way through the end of four. It's not possible. Um, but you can read it. Let me just highlight a few points because he gets to this part, the heart. He's saying this again and again and again. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, a humble mind. That's obviously insider talk, right? Unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another. Now, don't repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. On the contrary, repay with a blessing. It is for this you were called that you might inherit a blessing. You remember the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3? Go, I'll make you great nations, a great nation, and, and through you, all nations will be blessed. This is what Peter's referring back to. You are part of the chosen people to be blessed and to share blessing. Okay? Don't repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay, repay with a blessing. It's for this that you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. So you bless them and you inherit a blessing. That's fulfilling the promise to Abraham all the way back then. Um, those who desire life desire to see good days. I'm in uh, chapter 3, verse 10 now. Let them keep their tongues from evil, their lips from dis speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. 
Let them seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the, pardon me, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, leave the judging and the retribution up to God. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be intimidated. Put your heart, but in your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord. Okay, and now this piece, right? Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. I, I remember that verse being ground into my head when I was a kid. Was that? Always be, re, always be ready to make your apology, to make your defense, to be ready to stand up for the gospel. I don't remember the next half of it being pounded into our heads quite so much. But do it, what? With gentleness and reverence. And in case you're looking askance at my parents, it probably wasn't them that was like pounding it into my head. (laughs) Or not just them. Um, Always be ready to give a defense to give an accounting of your faith for the hope to which you are called, but do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be, okay, here's the big phrase, may be put to shame. And this is God's business to put them to shame. And it is not just them feeling a little bit embarrassed. Remember, honor, shame. This is now them feeling the shame when they, when they realize that they have abused you, although you didn't deserve it. And God will be the one who does it. Yeah. So your, yours has reverence. Mine has respect. Sure. When you say reverence, then to me, that's reverence to God. When this says respect, that signifies to me respect for the person that I'm providing talking with right yeah big difference it can be Uh, yeah unless we look at it as going in both directions at the same time that's part of what peter's arguing right when you're dealing with other people stop judging yourself or them based on your interaction with them you let god be the judge of both of you and you in the way that you deal with them like maybe pay reverence to god but in a way that respects them. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come out to the same thing, right? That makes sense. Other questions? Yeah, I'm, this is the new Revised Standard Version. Words are a bit different here and there. Verse 17 Yes, it does. For it is better to suffer for doing good if suffering should be God's will than to suffer for doing evil. And it's interesting, again, the ties to Isaiah 53, Right? In Isaiah 53, it was God's will for the suffering servant to be crushed with pain, to suffer, although he was righteous. That's something to chew on for a bit, right? That's a hard teaching. Um, Do you know this thing about the suffering servant and the son of man? Okay, so the suffering servant, we look at that and we go, oh yeah, that's Jesus, right? But for multiple centuries, the Jews did not look at that and think, ah, that's the Messiah that they're talking about. They looked at that and thought, ah, that's Israel in exile. 
Israel the suffering servant, the one who's crushed. And by uh, being the chosen one who's crushed, you know, there's this blessing on the people, on future generations, etc., etc. Then there's the son of man in the book of Daniel who's going to come and be kind of a military, victorious, triumphant leader, right? They might have looked at that and gone, yeah, that's the Messiah. That's the one that's coming. Jesus shows up and says, I'm those together. I'm the son of man who triumphs through suffering. And Peter says, Verse 18, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Then we'll pause for a minute. So if he did it, that's your mandate for you to be that way as well, among people who may not love you. Right? This is working out perfectly, because I'm running out of time just as we get to verse 19. So whoever's next has to solve that one. (laughs) I'll read it. In which also Jesus went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. Baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. Does anybody have a silver bullet on what this means? That Jesus traveled back to minister to the spirits who were imprisoned at the time of Noah. I'm I'm giving you your chance for, I mean, massive glory, right? Like if you answer this one, you've solved an age-old mystery for the church. I'm not going to give you a silver bullet. Uh, Here's what I'll say, though. (laughs) Actually, I wrote a note to myself. This is the mysterious section of 1 Peter that most people will be curious about and want answers to. I don't have a silver bullet. Here's one thing that I would point out, though. It presents Jesus as having complete authority over the past and the future from the depths of hell to the heights of heaven. He is Lord And he is gracious in all of those places. To the point that the early church fathers were having arguments. You want to pick a fight about when he went back and when he goes and he ministers to the spirits in prison. When he goes into hell and preaches the gospel there. Is Judas saved? It's an interesting question. I don't know. Neither did they. But the point is he's Lord. And he of time and of all of space, from the depths of hell to the heights of heaven. Again, his word, the gospel, is imperishable. So that's one of the other themes that comes up again and again. What's what's perishable in Peter's language? He uses the same image over and over again. You know, really, I mean, faulty things that just waste away quickly, like gold and silver. Is that what you think of as perishable? In all of the material things we have, what's the, what's the least likely to dissolve in 100,000 years? This gold ring would still be around, right? When all of this other stuff is gone, 
because gold is very imperishable. Except it does dissolve in water. Except when you compare it with the gospel. Because that's everlasting, according to Peter. He's making some amazing contrast, right? He's not, he's not going with moth and rust and clothes falling apart now. He's talking about gold versus the gospel, which lasts longer. I think if you read chapter 4, I'll leave you to it. Um, I'll just highlight a couple things. Verse 4. They're surprised that you no longer, this is your neighbors, you no longer join them in the same excesses of dissipation. So they blaspheme, but they will have to give an accounting to him who, already, who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. So you suffer maybe because of your non-participation. This was Michiko's experience. But your antagonists will pay the, for their malice. Um, yeah, the rest of chapter 4 has verses that we like to hold on to, right? Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 11, whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. Honor. Right? To him, Jesus, be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And then the end of the chapter is the summary of all of this argument so far. It's Peter's wrapping up of the relationship between exile, suffering, and being like Jesus. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, which might have been something more than just feeling offended because the culture didn't agree with us anymore. Their, their fiery ordeal was a bit more fiery. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's suffering so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or even, uh, what does your version have? A meddler. Anybody have something else? A busybody. A mischief maker, mine says. One commentator said, or annoying self-appointed public morality police. (laughs) Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, meaning if you suffer because you are being like Jesus, not being a jerk for Jesus, don't consider it a disgrace, but glorify God because you bear his name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. It begins with us. What will be the end... If it begins with us, this judgment, what will be the end for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? Therefore, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. So, trust yourselves to God.